section twenty one of the central period of the middle age nine eighteen to twelve seventy three by beatrice a lees this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter thirteen france under philip augustus louis the eleventh and st louis eleven eighty to twelve seventy part two in england the defeat of the allies at bouvines left john alone to face the armed opposition of his subjects and he found himself obliged to yield to their demands and to grant the great charter of liberties when pope innocent the third came to the aid of his new vassal released him from his promises and annulled the charter the english barons offered the crown to louis of france the eldest son of philip augustus who had married blanche of castile a granddaughter of henry the second louis led an expedition to england but the sudden death of john in twelve sixteen altered the whole situation the french troops were defeated at lincoln the french fleet was scattered off dover and in september twelve seventeen louis signed the treaty of lambeth and returned to france if the plantagenets had to submit to be stripped of their french fiefs at least they were spared the humiliation of seeing a capetian on the english throne a thirteenth-century chronicler tells us that after the battle of bouvines philip augustus lived in great peace and no man durst make war upon him during the remaining nine years of his reign he occupied himself with the internal affairs of his kingdom and with the consolidation and organization of his dominions he gave france the three essential instruments of good government a strong army a full treasury and a well-regulated administrative system and he did much to weaken the great feudatories and to strengthen the monarchy by his encouragement of the official and commercial classes his army was largely composed of hired soldiers and professional mercenaries and though the feudal levy was still sometimes called out and the militia of the town still often served in person it was becoming more and more the custom to commute service whether military or non-military and payments in kind for money payments the crown was further enriched by the extension of the royal demesne through marriage through treaty and through conquest and philip the second knew how to amass treasure by taxing clergy and laity alike by selling privileges to towns and protection to the jews whom in the beginning of his reign he had banished from the country and by transforming old feudal and servile obligations into profitable money rents and dues in his relations with the feudal nobles philip showed that he was determined to be master he forced them to recognize the jurisdiction of the king's court of justice and to accept his legislative ordinances by the sheer force of his wealth influence and dominant personality he bowed his vassals to his will he protected and flattered the clergy and yet did not scruple to wring money from them and to limit the jurisdiction of the ecclesiastical courts to the towns he was a great benefactor he renewed and confirmed charters and created many communes both in his own demesne and in the newly conquered provinces he favoured trade too throughout the kingdom and called burgesses to his feudal councils he extended his protection to foreign merchants and granted special privileges to the aunts 
or merchant corporation of paris in all these measures he had his own profit in view the towns gave him military and financial support and he found a valuable political ally in the commercial class in the work of administration he relied even more than his predecessors on the middle class as a check on the feudal magnates all real power was entrusted to the king's intimate counsellors the officials of court and palace the curiales and palatini knights clerks and lawyers members of the curia regis or king's court in the narrower sense the curia regis in the wider sense the great feudal council of nobles lay and ecclesiastical met less frequently than heretofore and the representatives of the towns were more prominent in it in the local government of the royal demesne philip the second instituted a new officer the bailli who was placed over the existing officials the prebel and was directly responsible to the crown the bailli like the itinerant justices in england were the financial judicial and administrative agents of the king the whole system centred in paris which was fast becoming the capital of a great kingdom philip augustus surrounded the city with a wall and built the castle and tower of the louvre the thirteenth century fortress has given place to the stately palace of francis i and his successors but the ground plan of the older building may still be traced in one of the courts of the louvre as we know it to-day philip the second died in twelve twenty three and was buried in the abbey of st denis the french historians vie with one another in praising the great king while the english chroniclers paint him as the perfidious rival of the gallant coeur de lyon from these contradictory accounts it is difficult to form a clear idea of philip's character and personality but an unbiased contemporary has left us what is probably a true description of the handsome stalwart prince high-coloured and fond of good living generous to his friends stern to those who resisted him strong-willed shrewd and resolute loving to use small men and to abase the proud the defender of the church and a protector of the poor in truth philip was neither a model of virtue nor a monster of iniquity but an able and unscrupulous politician a crafty diplomatist a prudent and experienced soldier a wise ruler and one of the founders of the french monarchy in person the new king louis the eighth a small thin delicate man already past his first youth was a striking contrast to the florid vigorous philip augustus yet he shared his father's ambitions and carried out his policy with energy and decision the three years of the brief reign of louis the eighth are chiefly noteworthy for the war with the english in aquitaine and for the crusade against the albigensian heretics in southern france louis took advantage of the youth of henry the third and the troubles in england to secure and extend his authority in poitou saintonge the limousin and perigord only gascony with the city of bordeaux remained to the english by twelve twenty six the last year of his life the french king was able to turn his attention to the affairs of languedoc while philip augustus and his son were establishing the royal power on a firm base in the north of france the submission of the south was prepared by the long agony of the albigensian crusade 
the free spirit of the men of languedoc was broken and their independence was crushed by the horrors of a holy war preached by popes and churchmen against the heretic enemies of the faith the south of france was cut off from the north by language by race by ways of life and by habits of mind the sunny lands between the rhone and the bay of biscay were the home of romance and chivalry inhabited by a gay pleasure-loving poetic eloquent people sensitive imaginative and alert east and west touched in the busy cities along the mediterranean shore and the intercourse with alien civilizations quickened and stimulated intellectual curiosity such a soil was well fitted for the growth of new and original modes of thought and the teaching of cathari petrobrusians and henricians found a ready response in the southern provinces before the end of the twelfth century the count of toulouse raymond v wrote that the new beliefs had penetrated everywhere and had sowed discord in all households his son raymond the sixth was himself a friend to heretics the albigenses as the thirteenth century southern cathari were called from the town of albi believed in the dual government of the world by a good and an evil power and rejected many of the doctrines and ceremonies of the catholic church as founders of what was practically a new religion as daring innovators and rebels against authority they were early recognized as a source of serious danger to the unity of the faith when innocent the third became pope in eleven ninety eight he set himself to the task of rooting out the albigensian heresy but ten years of peaceful exhortation of missions and preaching in which st dominic took an active part and of threats of excommunication had produced comparatively little effect when in twelve o eight the murder of the papal legate peter of castelnau by the heretics gave an excuse for adopting more violent measures a crusade was preached count raymond the sixth was excommunicated and the armed chivalry of the north of france poured into languedoc to fight the battles of the church it was in vain that raymond the sixth made humble submission to the pope his lands were conquered by simon lord of the northern fief of montfort lomery the father of the later champion of english freedom his ally king peter of aragon was killed at the battle of muret in twelve thirteen and in twelve fifteen the fourth lateran council confirmed to simon de montfort the greater part of his conquests but left to the son of raymond the sixth the lands beyond the rhone though this decree closed the first stage of the war hostilities began again almost immediately when raymond and his son tried to recover their fiefs toulouse revolted in the siege which followed simon de montfort was killed and his death renewed the war all along the line the struggle now to a great extent lost its religious character and became a mere dynastic and political contest when louis the eighth came to the throne the pope honorius the third and the southern bishops begged him to intervene he consented on condition that all the forfeited lands of the count of toulouse and the other feudatories should be placed at his disposal he had already before his accession twice visited languedoc during the war and in may twelve twenty six he marched south for the third time at the head of an army of crusaders 
avignon was blockaded and surrendered at the end of august the king rode unopposed through the troubled districts made provision for the government of the country as a royal fief and in october prepared to return to paris through auvergne he had reached montpensier when he succumbed to a sharp attack of illness he died on november eighth commending the regency of the kingdom to his wife blanche of castile france was now faced with the perils of a minority for louis the young king was only twelve years old and the feudal nobles seeing the country in the hands of a woman and a child were eager to recover the power which they had lost under philip augustus the king's uncle philip urepel count of boulogne pierre mauclerc count of Brittany, raymond the seventh now by his father's death count of toulouse the duke of burgundy and others formed a league against the spaniard the foreign queen regent and allied themselves with england with masterly decision blanche of castile a woman in sex but a man in council caused her son to be consecrated at reims and threw herself on the support of the clergy and the people the one faithful feudatory theobald of champagne and the pope honorius the third the emperor frederick the second remained neutral henry the third of england was dilatory and by diplomacy and energy blanche succeeded in breaking up the feudal coalition in twelve twenty nine raymond of toulouse by the treaty of meaux was secured in the possession of a portion of his father's dominions on condition of giving his daughter an heiress in marriage to the king's brother of reconciling himself with the church and of continuing the persecution of the heretics the establishment of an inquisition or organized system of ecclesiastical examination of suspected heretics completed the subjugation of the south of france in twelve thirty three the pope entrusted the management of the inquisition to the dominicans to be exercised in his name one last desperate attempt on the part of raymond the seventh to shake off the french yoke in twelve forty three failed signally the albigensian tragedy ended with a horrible massacre of heretics at montsegur in 1244 and in 1247 the death of raymond gave the county of toulouse to his son-in-law the king's brother alphonse of poitou louis the ninth came of age in 1234 and assumed the personal government of the kingdom though the queen regent retained much influence till her death in 1252 for nearly forty years till his lonely death in twelve seventy he stands out a singularly attractive figure in his purity and integrity as a simple follower after righteousness among worldly popes ambitious emperors self-seeking princes and intriguing politicians the formal canonization of the church was hardly needed to win him recognition as a saint a favorite subject of medieval art his portrait more or less idealized appears in frescoes and sculpture and in stained-glass windows while chroniclers and historians are unanimous in his praise he was tall slight and fair with thick light hair soft eyes and an angelic expression simple though daintily refined in dress and manners so devout that he was reproached as being more fit for a king of the friars than of the french ascetic charitable energetic pitiful to the poor but high-spirited and even hasty-tempered on occasion st louis seems to have deeply impressed his age by the mere power of unpretending goodness 
rather than by any specially brilliant gifts of intellect and imagination. In the charming pages of his friend and biographer, the Sieur de Joinville, he is described as a lover of God, of his people, and of truth, and the friar who preached his funeral sermon called him the most loyal man of his time. At the opening of his period of personal rule, Louis IX found himself in a strong position. His father, following a policy which afterwards proved fatal in its results, had portioned out the great fiefs among his sons. Alphonse was king of Poitou and Auvergne. His wife was the heiress of Toulouse. Robert was count of Artois, and Charles ruled over Anjou and Maine. Louis himself was married to a daughter of Raymond Beranger, Marquis of Provence, and her sister was the wife of Charles of Anjou. Thus a royal nobility was formed which, whatever its later dangers, for the moment supported the crown. A feudal rising in Poitou, in alliance with England, was suppressed. The Count of Toulouse was reduced to submission, and by 1248 Louis felt himself at liberty to carry out his cherished scheme of a crusade for the relief of the Holy Land, where in 1244 Jerusalem had been taken by the Charismians, the fierce Turkish mercenaries of the Sultan of Egypt. Louis determined to strike directly at the Egyptian power. He captured the port of Damietta without much difficulty, but in attempting to press on to Cairo his troops suffered a severe defeat at Montsurat, and Robert of Artois was killed. Forced to fall back on Damietta, Louis himself was taken prisoner and only regained his freedom on payment of a heavy ransom. After spending nearly four years in Syria, fortifying the seaports, he returned to France in 1254. During the next sixteen years, Louis IX played a leading part in European politics. He refused the Sicilian crown for himself, but saw his brother Charles of Anjou ruling as king of Sicily. He tried to mediate between Frederick II and the papacy, and in the troubled times after Frederick's death, he supported Alfonso of Castile against Richard of Cornwall. He was called in to arbitrate by the Mise of Amiens between Henry III and the barons in the civil war in England. At home, his feudal vassals submitted their differences to him. To the papacy, his attitude was reverent but never servile, and though he protected the Gallican church, he would not suffer the clergy to usurp privileges or unduly extend their jurisdiction. To the friars he was always a friend and a patron. He was himself a member of the Third Order of the Franciscans, and he relied on their help in his administrative reforms, and in return lavished favors and privileges upon them. His reign marks an important stage in the centralization and organization of the administrative system. Joinville tells us how he would do justice in person, seated under an oak tree in the forest of Vincennes, but he could also legislate for wider interests, and make the royal justice felt as a reality throughout the kingdom. The local officials, the Bailly and Seneschaux of Philip Augustus, were more closely connected with the central authority by means of regular circuits of enquêteurs or itinerant justices, charged with the supervision of local government the central court began to specialize its functions and to divide into the grand conseil for the ordinary administrative and political work of the kingdom the parlement or judicial department and the financial committees which were afterwards developed into the chambre des comptes 
the parlement acted as a court of final appeal and the power of the king's court was greatly strengthened by the increase in carroyaux cases which like the pleas of the crown in england were specially reserved for the royal jurisdiction provision was made for the strict supervision of the local officials and the coinage was reformed and regulated well might joinville write that louis considered and thought that to amend the kingdom of france was a right fair thing amidst all these manifold activities the king had never lost sight of the needs of the holy land and in 1270, accompanied by his three sons, he embarked at Aigues on a second crusading expedition. Tempted by the hope of converting the ruler of Tunis to Christianity, he landed in Africa in the scorching summer heat. Soon pestilence was devastating his army, and on August 25th, Louis himself passed away murmuring, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, as he lay dying his eldest son philip the third brought back his body to france to be buried at st denis where in the words of joinville reflecting the belief of the time god wrought many fair miracles for him and by his merits End of section twenty one